Hello, Christ community. Uh, welcome. We're glad that all of you are here. Greetings to our West Campus and our Traditions venue as well. Um, happy uh, Mother's Day weekend to, to all the moms. So glad that you are here and we love you and are grateful for all that you do. One quick announcement um, for you men. Many of you know that two weeks ago I held a men's gathering where I shared a message that I feel like God has given me, God has placed on my heart for men. Um, we had over 200 men come, which was awesome. Um, but if you missed that, or if you came and you want to listen to it again, um, we have posted the audio. Finally, we've got the audio and the video um, at my blog, so you can find it at alancraft.me. So I encourage you to, to check that out. And I also want to mention that um, because of Mother's Day, we are not having the prayer experience experience uh, Sunday afternoon this weekend from four to six. Uh, we'll start up again next weekend, but we won't be having that this weekend. Okay, so this past week, I took a very quick trip uh, to see my dad in, uh, in Wichita. Um, it's exactly eight hours door to door. Um, and so there's plenty of car time to listen to books on CD, which is what I did. And I happened to listen to two different books, um, true stories, both about people who are facing desperate situations. One was a guy who felt very dissatisfied with his life. The other was a man who was battling ALS. Both of them were in desperate circumstances, and they, they chose to respond to that in very different ways with very different consequences. So, what, so the question is, what, what, do, what do you do when you find yourself in a desperate situation? What do you do when you find yourself in a situation where all hope seems to be lost? You know, for some of us, we, we lapse into a state of passivity. You know, what, what's the use, right? For others of us, we kind of freak out, frantically trying to, you know, muster up whatever resources we have to, to, to face this. I mean, what, what's that old saying? Desperate times call for desperate measures, right? But, but there is another option that we have in facing desperate circumstances. And we see this option vividly on display in the passage that we're looking at today. If you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter eight, beginning in verse 40. We are continuing our journey in the book of Luke. And in this particular passage, we are introduced to two people who are in absolutely desperate situations. But instead of passivity or taking matters into their own hands, they choose a very different response, a response of determined faith, determined faith. And that response changed everything for them. And it can for us as well. All of us have or will or are currently experiencing circumstances of desperation, of, of hopelessness. Without Jesus in our story, desperation is really all that we have. But if, but if Jesus is in our story, everything changes. And we'll see that today. So let's begin in Luke 8 in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now, can any parent here think of a more desperate situation? This man's only child, his 12-year-old daughter, is dying. There is nothing, there is, there's, there's nothing more desperate than this. 
I mean, there is something very special, I think, about a dad's connection to his daughter. I remember when our, when our first child was born, um, we were convinced, we were absolutely certain throughout the entire pregnancy that this baby was a boy. Um, right up until the doctor held our second old, seconds old child in his hands and said, congratulations, it's a girl. Um, and, and after that initial shock, we were the happiest people on the planet. I mean, this, this beautiful girl. This gift was ours, Erin Renee. And I, I remember holding her and dancing with her in our living room and singing Stephen Curtis Chapman songs over her, right? There is something special, very special about having a daughter. And as dads, all of our protective instincts kick into gear at that moment. We are going to protect this little girl no matter what, which is no doubt what drove Jairus to run to Jesus in desperation. He had heard of Jesus' miracles. He didn't care if other synagogue leaders were, were skeptical of Jesus or angry at Jesus. Jairus just wanted his daughter made well. And so he unashamedly went to Jesus, pleading with him to help. I mean, this is faith in its most basic form. The most potent environment for determined faith is helplessness. Helplessness. It's when we know that Jesus is our only option and we run to him for help. Verse 42, as Jesus was on his way to Jairus' house, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Okay, so in this crowd is a woman also in a desperate situation, a woman who for 12 years has had menstrual bleeding that wouldn't stop and no doctors could help her. Now, not only was this a horrible physical condition, it was also a shame-filled experience. It would have been very embarrassing to go out in public. And then there were also uh, religious dynamics as well. According to Jewish law, a woman was ceremonially unclean during her menstrual cycle. Now, that didn't mean that, she, that, that, that women are sinful, you know, for having a period... It just meant that during that time of the month, they were restricted from certain religious observances. But this woman was in that situation for 12 years. I mean, talk about desperation. She lives in a prison of pain and shame, and no one can help her. No doctors can help her. And then she hears that Jesus is in her village, and so she desperately pushes her way through the crowd. Verse 44, she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now notice how this woman approached Jesus. She approached him from behind. She didn't want to be seen. She didn't want to be noticed. She just thought, if I could just touch the hem of his robe, 
And this is against, this is another such powerful picture of determined faith. It is not complicated. It's not complicated, but it does require an intentional focus on Jesus, a reaching out to him in the midst of our helplessness. See, sometimes we think that faith is about the level of our Bible knowledge or how long we've attended church, right? That God, that God responds better if we know him more or if we've done more for him. But this woman's situation here blows that idea out of the water. She doesn't have any training. She doesn't have any important position. We don't even know her name. What she has is a need, a desperate need. And she chooses to bring that to Jesus. Faith is not complicated. It is choosing to run to Jesus with our need. So when she touches his garment, her bleeding stopped. For the first time in 12 years, she feels normal. She feels whole. And I'm I'm guessing she was just on the ground, you know, just rejoicing at what God had just done, letting the crowd just kind of move along with Jesus. But Jesus stopped and he asked, who touched me? I'm sure there was an awkward silence where the disciples are thinking exactly what Peter declared. Uh, Jesus, hundreds of people are touching you. You know, people are crowding in. A bunch of people are touching you. They've been touching you. They've been crowding in. For the last mile, we've been walking here. They've been crowding you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Now, this is, this is so cool. Lots of people were touching Jesus, but only one was touching him in faith. Only one was touching him with this desperate need, looking to him for help. And that faith actually released the power of God to bring healing into her life. Now, this reveals something very important about the nature of faith. Notice, faith is not simply about proximity, as if just being around Jesus is what matters. There were lots of people who were close to Jesus in proximity, and they were touching Jesus with no impact, with no impact. Just like today, there are lots of people who are around spiritual things, who are around discussions about Jesus, who are around church. Maybe they even go to Bible study. They are in in proximity to the presence of Jesus. But being in proximity to Jesus doesn't result in impact or transformation. What releases the power of God in our lives for salvation or for the presence of Jesus living in us, what, what, what releases the power of God is faith looking to Jesus in our need, admitting we need him and reaching out to touch him. So, so let, me, let me just ask here, stop for a moment and ask, is your relationship with God based on proximity? In other words, is it based on your parents' faith or your girlfriend's faith or your wife's faith or whatever? And you're, you're just kind of hanging out in the midst of that? So you go to church with them, or you go to youth group because your friends go and you hope some of this stuff will just kind of rub off. Is that the case? That's proximity. Or is your relationship with God based on your faith, your decision to come to Jesus on your own and admit how desperately you need him, how desperately you need him? How desperately you need his love. How desperately you need his forgiveness, his his freedom, his healing. 
Is your relationship with God based on proximity or is it your own faith in Jesus? That's a really important question. All sorts of people were in proximity to Jesus. Only one was touched by Jesus. And the difference in that was faith, their faith. <clears throat> in fact, let, let's, let's all admit it here. One, one of the hardest things for many of us to do is to ask for help, right? One of the hardest things for many of us to do is to admit our need, which is a significant problem when we truly understand what happened in this story. The only person experiencing Jesus' love and power in this moment was the one who was willing to admit her need and look to him. It's the only person who is experiencing Jesus' love and power in this moment. And this is especially true, I think, in the area of, of healing. One of the hardest things for us to do in our culture is to ask for prayer for ourselves. I talk to people all the time in our church who are battling some type of health issue. Maybe it's a chronic pulled muscle kind of thing or headaches or some disease or whatever. And I often will just kind of ask them, hey, have you come to the prayer experience on Sundays and, and had a team pray for you? Have you had anyone pray for healing? Well, no, you know, I've been meaning to do that, but haven't really, I've been kind of busy and all that. I mean, the irony is often they're going to physical therapy to get better. They're going to doctors to get better, which is all fine, but they, they may be on some medication to get better. All that's fine, but they struggle to go to some brothers and sisters in Christ and say, would you pray for me? Would you pray for healing for my back or my headaches or my plantar fasciitis or whatever? Why is that so hard for us? Why is it so hard for us to ask for healing prayer? It's probably some pride and some self-consciousness, but, but you know what the root is? You know what the root issue is? A lack of faith. When we define faith the way this story defines it, coming to Jesus with our need. Coming to Jesus with our need, that's faith. And it's, it's not complicated, but for some reason, it is so hard for us to do. And that difficulty hinders our ability to experience all that Jesus has for us. Now, one thing I love about this story is how Jesus, how Jesus responds to her. She tells her story in front of, kind of, now she's the center of attention, so she kind of tells what just happened. And then notice what Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. He calls her daughter. I love this. This is a woman who for years has been socially isolated, has been filled with shame for years. But Jesus calls her daughter. He wants her to know and experience the heavenly father's love for her. And then he says, go in peace. This word peace, it's, it's, um, in, 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 it, it's related here to this, this word shalom in scripture, right? It means wholeness of being. And that's God's heart for her. It's God's heart for us. Peace in our entire being. That's what faith can release in our lives. No matter what our difficulties and circumstances, as we continually run to Jesus for help, we can experience abiding peace, which is really cool. So all of, this is, all of this is really awesome, but the story isn't over. There's another vital dimension of determined faith that we really need to unpack here because it's very, very important. We're going to see. So remember, while all this is happening to this woman, Jairus is just standing there. 
wanting Jesus to help his daughter, wanting Jesus to get to his daughter, desperately wanting that, right? She, she's minutes from dying. She's, she's that close to death. Can you imagine what Jairus is going through here? Come on, let's go. <laughs> Enough chit chat, you know, come on. We need to get moving here. Come on, let's go. Enough of this stuff. We, we need to get moving. My daughter is dying. So he's just standing there watching this whole interaction and this conversation. Now, just when it looked like Jesus was ready to move on, right? And then the, the interaction with this woman was, was done. And then they could, again, make their way to Jairus' house. Jairus' worst fear happened right at that moment. Verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking to this woman, someone came up from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. A kick in the gut, right? This is a kick in the gut. The news that no parent ever wants to hear. Your child is dead. And I'm sure Jairus felt this overwhelming swirl of, of emotions, of grief, of sadness, of anger. Why did we have to stop for that woman? If only we had gotten to my house in time, my daughter would be alive. Now into this situation, all that Jairus is experiencing, into the situation, Jesus speaks directly to Jairus' heart. This is what he said. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. Now notice what Jesus is asking Jairus to do. In the face of his hopelessness and despair and grief and anger, that's his reality. In the face of all of that, Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, just believe. In other words, Jairus, I've got this, but I need you to trust me. I've got this, I need you to trust me. Verse 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and, all, and, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. So, okay, so this is amazing, right? He raises this little girl from the dead and gives her back to her parents. I mean, everyone knows she's dead. He raises her from the dead, gives her back to her parents. I mean, this is an incredible miracle, right? So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? I got to confess, I struggle some with this passage, I mean, if Jesus has the power to raise 12-year-old girls from the dead, and he clearly does, if he has the power to do that, why doesn't he do that today? I would love to not have to do another child funeral the rest of my life. So what do we do with this passage? Is it to create, is this passage here to create this expectation that Jesus will regularly bring to life someone who just died? Now, I know this, this can happen. I know it happens in other places around overseas. I mean, I've had, heard a few stories and I've actually talked to a person who talked to a person, that kind of a deal, but I'm not saying it didn't happen. I, I, people who witnessed this kind of thing. So I, I believe it happens, but it is not common. It is not common. Usually people who die stay dead physically. 
Now, now, of course, we believe that those who die in Christ will go to be with him immediately. And so in that sense, he still raises the dead to life. But again, what do we do with this passage? See, I think, I think for us, the most relevant, powerful part of this passage is not the raising of the girl from the dead. The most relevant part of this story for us is that interval of time when Jairus is told that his daughter is dead and Jesus says to him, don't be afraid, trust me. And they start walking toward his home. You see, that's where we live. That's where we live. We know Jesus promises, that he promises eternal life in heaven and that his resurrection from the dead defeated death. For all. We know all that. And we, we, we are thankful for that future promise. And we look forward to, to have our heavenly home where there will be no more crying or mourning or death. But we are not home yet. In, in our here and now, we are just like Jairus on the way home. The miracle is coming, but we're not there yet. In, in, in this life, on our journey toward home, it's really our, our life. It's a picture of our life. Jairus' journey, it's, it's a picture of our life. In, in, our, in this life, on our journey toward home, we regularly face difficulty and tragedy and death. And here's what Jesus says to us as we walk with him toward heaven. Don't be afraid. Trust me. I'm still in control. I'm working all things according to my purpose. Will you trust me? Will you trust me? See, this is another dimension of determined faith. And it's a dimension that many of us would prefer wasn't there. It's the faith to trust Jesus in the face of loss and tragedy in the face of personal anguish and pain. Can we trust him then when, 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 when he doesn't answer our prayer for healing? When, when he doesn't do what we're asking him to do? Is our faith big enough for that? See, in some pockets of Christianity, faith is defined as believing that God is going to heal, believing that God is going to bring breakthrough, the, the breakthrough that we're asking for. And if you don't believe God is going to do that, don't bother asking because you don't have enough faith. While I appreciate the confidence and the passion of that perspective, where does it leave sincere believers in Jesus who are burying a child? or battling a disease that isn't going away? Where does it leave us after praying earnestly in faith for healing and that healing doesn't happen? Where does it leave us? A year ago, almost to the day, many of us here said goodbye to a dear friend, Brian Stugert, an incredible man and husband and father, lover of God, Brian went in for surgery. Um, a week later, he was, he was dead. And I can just tell you right now, if, if earnest, faith-filled prayer guaranteed healing, Brian would still be alive today. He would be alive today. I, mean, I have not seen, in, in 27 years of pastoral ministry, I have not seen more earnest, focused, intense, faith-filled prayer in my life. I'll never forget sitting in the ICU waiting room um, with, with 
his e-group with Brian and Lynn's e-group. And, and we're, just, we're praying and all that stuff. And we, at, at some moment, someone just suggested we just divide up the next 24 hours. So who's going to take 2 a.m. to 3 a.m.? Who's going to take 3 a.m. to 4 a.m.? Every hour was taken care of. People were setting their alarms, waking up, praying for that hour. So for that period of time, Brian was receiving constant prayer on his behalf. If faith-filled prayer guaranteed healing, Brian would be here today. No doubt in my mind. But he's not here. He's not here. And his death shook our faith to the core. I mean, many of his praying friends are still reeling from that. God, what happened? We prayed so hard. What happened? They're still reeling from that. But here's the deal. There is an important lesson here to be learned about faith. Our faith has to be big enough to ask God for miracles and to keep on trusting him when that miracle doesn't happen in our timetable. I mean, Brian is healed, but not, just not the way we want it. He is whole in heaven, he's healed, just not the way we want it. Is our faith big enough to keep trusting Jesus when the healing we long for doesn't come in this life? In other words, is our faith only big enough for the miracle, but not for the entire journey home? Is it big enough for both of those? A few weeks ago, as I was preparing for a funeral um, for the, the tragic death of an amazing young man in our church family, um, I came across an autobiography of uh, Rory Feek, who is a country singer, um, songwriter. He, he married his wife, Joey, in 2002. And they started a singing duo that was doing great. I mean, life for them was amazing. In 2014, they had a, a child, a beautiful girl with Down syndrome. And not long after that, Joey was diagnosed with cancer. And she died last year at the age of 40. So in this book, Rory talks about his life and this journey that he's on. And I want to read just a portion of this. Here's what he writes. He says, I, I just feel like I now have a different perspective than what I had most of my life. I have peace because of my faith and finally opening my hands and turning my life over to God, trusting that he has a bigger plan, one that I don't understand, that I can't understand this side of heaven. And then he, then he writes this. This is so powerful. He says, God is the author of this story of my life and my wife's, a story that he is telling. I just wake up every day and turn the page. Sometimes I'm frightened by what I find, and sometimes I'm exhilarated. Many nights, I don't want to go to sleep and wake up the next day to turn another page, afraid that the beautiful moment we're experiencing might be met with hardship in the next paragraph. And our journey to the top of a mountain will come barreling down on the other side. But we must turn the page and trust that the story he is telling is bigger than that one page or that one chapter. What a, what a beautiful picture of determined faith. 
One that aligns so well with Jairus and the woman in, the, in our story. Determined faith is the faith to run to Jesus in our helplessness and our need, asking him for help. And it's the faith to keep turning the page when difficulties hit. Trusting that the story he is telling is bigger than this one page or this one chapter that we're currently in. See, that's the faith that Jesus invites us to live in. That that kind of faith enables us to walk in shalom, in, in peace, no matter how desperate our circumstances. That's the faith he invites us to walk in. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this invitation to live by faith. And for these two pictures of what faith looks like. And we thank you for that. This picture of this woman who in desperate need reaches out to touch the hem of your garment. And she's healed. And I thank you that that's the kind of faith that you want us to demonstrate. And, and so, um, so right now, I want to encourage you. You can just keep your head bowed, your eyes closed. But I want us to think of a particular need we have. A desperate situation that we find ourselves in. And I want to encourage you to reach out to Jesus. Just to touch him with this need. Maybe it's a need for salvation. Maybe it's the first time. You've kind of been a proximity person. You know, you've been kind of based on your parents' faith or someone else's faith, and now you're saying, I want Jesus. This is my faith. And so you admit your need, and you place your trust in him and say, Jesus, come live in me. Forgive my sin. Live in me. Or maybe it's a faith for healing, where you just, you need healing. You're asking for healing, and just this reminder, just going to reach out and touch the hem of his robe for healing in your situation, for physically and for emotional healing, for wholeness, the shalom, for encouragement, whatever need you have, I want to encourage you just to reach out to Jesus. And if you want to do this just even physically with your hand just in front of you and just in the quiet of your heart, say, Jesus, I need you. And then tell him what you need. Tell him what you long for. Just ask him. Just in the quiet of your heart, just ask him to touch you in that situation. Jesus, I just join with these prayers and pray for your power to be released in these situations. Healing released in Jesus' name. Power released into these situations. And I want to challenge some of you here you're, you're just to take advantage of um, having other people pray for you. Maybe your e-group to bring up this need. Maybe, the, oh, I had them pray two months ago. Hey, it's okay to keep asking, right? Or maybe the prayer experience, not this weekend, but the prayer experience when it starts up again next week, just to, to have people pray for you, I encourage you to reach out.
and admit need, which is the, that's the root issue of faith, right? It's not complicated. Jesus, I have this need. So that's part of faith. God, thank you for hearing these prayers and just for being that near to us that we can touch you. But I want to pray into the other side of faith as well, Lord, this, the gyrus journey where we have a promise. We have a promise of life in heaven and, and, and yet we're not home yet. And so there are some here in this journey, we're walking towards home and, and in this life, all of us are doing that. And we're, we're in the midst of circumstances we have been praying for and, and we haven't seen the desires that we, and the results that we long for. And God, we, we give you that. And we hear your call to us, Jesus. I've got this, trust me, don't be afraid. And so I pray for that. I pray against fear. I pray that we would walk with you. Just like Jairus, we're walking with you on this journey, even in the midst of difficulties and hardship. And I pray that our faith would be big enough for that as well. Big enough to ask for healing and restoration and breakthrough and also big enough to walk with you when these things don't happen the way we want them to right now. So I pray for that kind of strength for each person here. That kind of faith for all of us, you would help us grow in our trust of you as we walk on this journey, as we walk this journey with you. Mm. Thank you, Jesus, for walking with us in the midst of our pain and difficulties. And we want to be a people of determined faith, a people who call to you in our need and also who walk with you and trust you when things aren't happening the way that we want them to. Give us that kind of faith, God, to grow in that kind of faith, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're going to transition now. Um, to a, a time where we're in just a few minutes, we're going to do a child blessing. And I want to explain that before parents go get your kids, you don't have to worry about that right now. Just before you do that, I want to just take a couple minutes and talk about child blessing and why we do this and what are we going to be doing. Um, every child in this building, every child in our church this weekend is that's, that's here this weekend is going to have a blessing spoken over them. We, we do this twice a year instead of child dedication. Um, a few years ago, we realized that the Bible doesn't really talk about child dedication, um, but it talks a ton about this incredible privilege of blessing children, of speaking a blessing over our children, not just once, but repeatedly. This was a pattern in the Old Testament given to parents. This was something that Jesus did frequently. We see it in Mark 10. The Bible makes it clear that there is a special spiritual impartation that occurs when we speak blessing upon our children. And so we had this radical idea. What if instead of continuing to do child dedication the way we always have, a few parents coming up front, you know, and, and with their children, what if we created an opportunity for every parent to feel empowered, to express value and blessing upon their child, no matter how old they are, whatever, just to, to speak blessing upon them. What if we equipped and encouraged parents to regularly speak a blessing over their child. That seemed to be more of a biblical model. So we decided to take two weekends a year where we bring in all of the children um, to, uh, to, to join us in worship. And then we lead the parents or grandparents or whoever is, is with that child to speak a blessing 
over each child. And our hope is that this then becomes a continual practice beyond these walls, where we as parents and grandparents regularly declare and impart a blessing upon our children, which can have a huge impact in our children's lives. So, so here's what's going to happen in, in, in just a minute. The worship team, gonna, they're going to um, uh, start leading us in a worship song. Um, and when they start singing that, uh, leading us in that song, we want every parent here, you, again, don't do it now, but in, uh, it'll be clear when you do this. Every parent can just go get your child. At, at both campuses here, parents of Tiny Tot children can go directly to the Tiny Tots area where you checked your children in. Parents of Kids Connection age can just go get them. They'll be in the lobby area. Um, our leaders will have brought them to the lobby to make picking them up easier. Now, parents, you need to bring your child's sticker with you because this is an official kind of check out process the same way as usual. We want this to be a safe and secure thing. So in light of that, during the next 10 minutes or so, no one will be allowed to leave the building with a child. So once you pick up your children, bring them back here with you where we will be engaged in worship. If you need to spread out in the aisles, that's totally fine. When everyone is back in this room, I'm going to come back up and, and then we're going to bless every child in this room. And I'll explain how that will happen then, okay? So uh, even if you don't have children with you, um, or, uh, this is going to be a cool thing to see and be a part of. It's a part of our worship. And so we're going to engage in worship, and then we're also going to do this blessing thing. And so it's going to be really, really cool. So why don't, we, uh, why don't we stand as the worship team leads us? Parents, go get your kids and bring them back with you, all right? Bring them back with you. Okay, um, so you can remain standing here. Let me explain what's gonna what's gonna happen for you, children here. You may be wondering why am I here, right? Why was I brought into the big worship center? The reason is because we think you are awesome and special, and we want you to know that. And we also want you to receive a really cool blessing from God. And that blessing is going to come through your parents or grandparents or some other person who loves you. The Bible encourages uh, your parents to regularly speak words of, of blessing over you because these words can help fill your heart with more of, of Jesus' love and, and power. And so in just a moment, your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa or someone else who's with you, loves you a lot, they're going to place a hand on your head or on your shoulder and speak a blessing over you. So parents, in just a moment, we're going to do this. We'll start with one child. Doesn't matter how old they are, okay? They may be 30. That's okay. If you are with them, you can speak this blessing upon them. And so what we'll do is we'll repeat this together so each child can get blessed. And the blessing we're going to use is, is the one that I've spoken over my children hundreds and hundreds of times uh, before they, they go to bed. It's found in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 26. So we're going to put it on the screen here. And this blessing is so powerful because it speaks of, of God keeping or protecting our children. It speaks of God making his face shine upon them, which is a beautiful way to describe experiencing the fullness of his love. And it speaks of his shalom, his peace in every facet of their being. That's what we're blessing our children with today. And I want to I clarify, this is not a prayer. Prayer is praying to God. This is actually a blessing we speak upon the child. And again, biblically speaking, there is spiritual power. There's an impartation that happens when we do that, okay? So here we go. Start with first child. Go ahead and put a hand on them. 
their head, their shoulder, whatever. Let's declare out loud, declare this blessing over them. Here we go. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Second child. If you have a second child, second child. Here we go. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Third child, here we go. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll go one more here, all right? Um, fourth child, if you have that many, here we go. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen. You can continue later if you have more kids, all right? There's always room for more. But, but see how easy this is? Really, really. And, you, and it can have a huge impact. So I encourage you parents. Make this a regular practice. You can use this blessing that we just used, or there are many others. We've actually put together a handout. If this is new to you, we've put together a handout, made available in the lobby, and, and it has some other verses on it that you can use and kind of explains a little more information about blessing. Now, what I've done um, before, when my kids were in our home, we only have um, one in the home left, but before bed, I would pray for my child, and then at the end of my prayer for them, I would speak this blessing, usually the number six blessing. Now we're going to do something a little, a little in addition, I guess, uh, today, um, because it's Mother's Day. We're going to do an additional blessing here. So kids, we want you to be able to speak a blessing over your mom. So what I want you to do, if you're here with your mom, um, place a hand on your mom's shoulder. If you need to stand on a chair, that's okay. That's fine. Um, uh, go ahead and just get in position. This is for kids of all ages. So if you're here with your mom, we encourage you to do this. And if you're a husband with um, your wife and there are no kids around, you can do this blessing for her. Um, and so, so uh, we're going we're gonna to speak a blessing together. Again, it's going to be on the screen. Um, so kids, you ready? You got your hand on your mom's shoulder. Okay, we're going to say this blessing together. You ready? Here we go. Mom, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. May the love of God the Father fill you. May the presence of the Holy Spirit strengthen you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, let me lead us in a prayer right now. God, thank you for these blessings that have been released and spoken over children and over moms. And we just pray blessing on these children. You would fill them with your love and your grace and your power. You would use them powerfully for your glory, Lord. And I pray for these parents. Give parents, these parents, wisdom. And they would continue to speak blessing over their children. Give them wisdom as parents uh, to lead and guide and just to grow their children in the things of the Lord. 
And so I just want to pray too for, for just various situations for parents, Lord, for those parents who have lost children, you would, you would pour out your grace upon them and comfort. For those parents who, who have adult children who are not following the Lord, I pray, Lord, we pray for these children. They would be blessed. And Lord, I pray for the freedom for maybe parents to call up their kids and say, hey, I just want to speak a blessing over you. I just want to pray over you and speak a blessing over you. Can I do that over the phone, Lord? I, just, I pray for blessings to be released. I pray for parental guilt to be lifted for parents who say, ah, oh, I wish I would have heard this when I was younger. And I just pray parental guilt would be lifted, that you, you're at work in our children. We pray for those who are, who, who are wanting to have children, they're trying to have children. Would you open wombs, Lord? Would you grant that, we pray? For those who are trying to adopt children, you would make that happen, God. And so I just pray all for the families in various situations, God, you would pour out your grace and pour out your spirit. Thank you, thank you, thank you for children. They are so precious and we value them and love them, God. Okay, we're going um, to do one more uh, worship song here, and then I'll come up for a, a closing blessing where I get to speak a blessing on, on you 